speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 34 of the Man of Screen podcast. On this episode, we're going to look at episodes 11 and 12 of season 2 of The Adventures of Superman, The Man in the Lead Mask, and... One of the, if not the best episode in the series, Panic in the Sky. It's not the... Ooh, if it's the yay! Ah, crowd goes wild! Ah. If it's not the best episode in the series, it's definitely the most famous. And to help me out this week, I got Bob Fisher in the house. Yay! Hi, everybody. Hi, Mike. Welcome back. No, wait. I'm back. The, You're yeah, here. That should be my this, line. Yeah, You're in my house right, right now. All right, I get so confused. Yeah, it's okay. I'm old, but I can do that. Where are my keys? Um, Wait, no, no, those are my keys. <laughs> Put those back. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be fun. We got a couple of really fun ones tonight. These are two really, as you say, highly rated shows. Where you know we got uh, Man in the Lead Mask and possibly my all-time favorite George Reeves episode with Panic in the Sky. It's so much goodness in that episode, along with the stuff that make you scratch your head, but the story and, well, we'll get to it. But yes, right. I'm glad to be here tonight. See, hey, see, that was self-control. That was editing. Very good, Bob. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you a round of applause. <laughs> yeah. All right, good. Yeah, so we're, 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 I think this is one of everybody's, at least Panic is, one of everybody's favorite favorites. And this is coming off last week's episode in which I discussed George Reeves' favorite, The Face and the Voice, where he got to play uh, a double role. Yeah, and that's a good episode, too, and that's a fun episode. And yeah, I love that scene where after he takes the bandages off and George goes up to the mirror and then holds the Superman shirt up, you know, it's just a great, well, look just like him. Well, I don't do a good mobster voice. But, but George did. Yeah, George did. Yeah, he was pretty good. Characteristics, walks. He definitely uh, separated himself from the bad guy. I, I like the episode too. Good, good episode. But I think it was interesting what you said in your opening about this, that Panic in the Sky is one of the best, possibly the best, or, and I think this was interesting that you put it that way, it was just one of the most well-known. It seems like even casual viewers of the show seem to remember this episode, even if they haven't seen it for years and years and years, if you ask them, uh, Panic in the Sky sticks out. Even if they don't even remember the name of the show, you start describing, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. Well, it's it's really the only one of its kind. There's really no, no other episodes that are really hard science fiction like this. No, no, nothing. A and nothing. it's one of the few episodes where Superman was actually hurt. Badly hurt. Right. Yeah. So yeah. There, there's so, a lot in that episode that stands out that's different from all the others. Yeah, looking forward to it a little later. And That'll plus, be it's fun. been redone twice. Uh, at least. You mean in on the screen on, or on, in comics? On TV. I'm, on TV. Yeah, on TV, right. Lois and Clark did it. And Superboy did it, too. Uh, oh, that's right. So when, when did they, what season did they do that in? Three. Okay. I'll mention those at the end. 
Okay, good. Because I still need to pick those. I have seasons one and two of Superboy. I don't have three and four yet. So I need to get those because those are two really good seasons of Superboy. And I will stop now going down little branches and sidetracks. I will turn it back over to the host to drive the car directly. Hopefully not at the tree. Well, or a ditch. But yeah, keep it on the road. All right. Before we get into tonight's episodes, we got the feedback here from Dave McIlvaney. Dave is talking about episode 31, in which we cover Shot in the Dark and Defeat of Superman, I believe. I should really know these things. Greetings, Mike. Another fun episode of the Man of Screen podcast. I must say, in your discussion of A Shot in the Dark, when you or Bob referred to Harriet Harper as Aunt Harriet, my brain immediately jumped to this imaginary tale. Superman, played by George Reeves, is telling Batman, played by Adam West, about this particular close call with a secret identity. Superman. So the boy, (laughs) Alan Harper, lives with his Aunt Harriet. Batman. Aunt Harriet? Why did you say that name? (laughs) Okay, it didn't happen, but it could have. Oh, that's great, Dave. Thank you for the laugh. Thank you. God, that's great. (laughs) Actually, that reminds me of something I saw on Facebook today, where uh, somebody posted clips of of the warehouse fight scene with Batman from BVS. And he put the Adam West music behind it and the biffs and bams. It was hysterical. And they actually did the first season, Pow, Bang, Biff, right. Pow, which were really nice see-through overlays over top of the action. In the second and third season, when the budgets were cut, they just did drop cards. That's how you can tell real quick if you jump in in the middle of a fight scene in the Batman 66 TV show. If you can see through the Pow, Wow, Bang, it's the first season. If you can't see through, if it's on a green background, for example, the word Pow, then it's second and third because it's much cheaper and quicker and easier in those days just to insert that in post than it would be to do an overlay. Nowadays, it would make a difference in the cost. But in those days, in 66, it was more expensive to do a see-through overlay than just, boom, insert a, a picture. Anyway, set to the music of Batman 66, that, uh, that scene is far less brutal. <laughs> yes, I saw your post on that. It is far less brutal. All right, so back to Dave. When you were discussing how Superman's X-ray vision goes through the safe to burn up the negative without damaging the safe itself, I immediately thought of focus. When you look out a window at something outside, you focus on what you're looking at, not on the glass of the window, and so you don't see the glass. It also helps that the glass is transparent. Mm-hmm. When doctors use radiation therapy to treat cancer to avoid har- to avoid harming healthy tissue, they focus the radiation on the cancerous tissue so that what strikes the healthy tissue is weaker because it is less focused there. When you use a magnifying glass to start a fire, the sunlight is focused and only burns the place it's focused on. I really hope Dave didn't try this on ants. <laughs> it's, it seems to me that Superman can focus the power of his X-ray vision so that the heat is generated only at the point of focus. I agree with that. That's really good. I, that's, that's a very good piece of logic. Dave's on a roll with Dave, this email. Dave is always on a roll. Wow. Dave finishes. <laughs> at one point while discussing the defeat of Superman, Bob mentioned the early 60s TV series Space Angel mm-hmm. and wonders if I watched it in my youth. I didn't. But I do fondly recall the other show he mentioned, Clutch Cargo, which was right. weirdly interesting and creepy because of the Synchrovox animated mouths. I'm looking forward to hearing the upcoming episodes of season two. Thanks, Mike and Bob. Live long, oh, and, great. Live long and prosper. Dave Halkar McIlvaney. Well, thanks, Dave. Yes, thank yeah, you very that's, much, Dave. That, that was great. Uh, uh, yeah, Clutch Cargo was done by the same house, the same animation studio that did Space Angel. And they used great artists to draw stills so the only thing moving uh, on most of the screen that you would see of the shot would just be the character's mouth and it would be a real mouth 
an actor would be reading the book. There's a whole process on it. But if you just, it's, it's actually now called the clutch cargo technique. And I may have mentioned this before. Conan O'Brien used to use it, but uh, it's a it's really cool technique. But I always like Space Angel better than Clutch Cargo. But Clutch Cargo became way more famous and more popular. But uh, if you guys would look him up, go if you go to YouTube and look up Space Angel and look at a few of those videos. Some of you old comic book fans might <coughs> recognize some of that artwork. So there you have it. All right. So th- thank you, Dave, for your email. Thanks, Dave. Bob and I are going to take a quick break. I'll play a promo, and then we're going to come back with The Man in the Lead Mask. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it. From 1938 to the present day, from the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons... Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years, and if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com All right, so welcome back, folks. We're going to move right ahead into The Man in the Lead Mask. Our original broadcast date was November 23rd, 1953. Writers were Leroy H. Zarin and Roy Hamilton. Director was George Blair. Guest cast included Frank J. Skinnell as Canfield, John Crawford as Jack Morrell, Louis Jean Haight as Pauly, Paul Breyer as Scott, John Merton as Doc Webster, Joey Ray as Marty Mitchell, Lynn Thomas as The Waitress, and Sam Bolter as the radio announcer. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. A man in a lead mask has entered the Metropolis Post Office to commit a most unusual act. He has stolen the wanted poster of Marty Mitchell, one of the country's most notorious criminals. Now, there are the facts. All the facts we've got. Police report on the post office. Photograph of the shot-off section of the lead mask. Our newspaper file on Marty Mitchell, the most wanted criminal in the country. Now, here are the questions. You answer them. Why would anyone raid a post office to steal a police poster? And why Marty Mitchell's? Unless that person has found out something about Mitchell, or has seen him in the city, or he is Mitchell. And why the mask? Well, it figures, Chief. If you're a wanted man like Mitchell, your face is too well known. Well, after all, a trick mask is not exactly inconspicuous. And why a lead mask? Metropolis and Superman go together, don't they? And isn't it generally known that lead is the only substance that Superman's X-ray vision can't penetrate? What do you think, Clark? Well, it's a thought. Sounds good to me. Get the story. A group of criminals is hiding out in a secluded cabin. The man in the lead mask arrives with a poster. Took you long enough. Well, I had to hide out for a while. Somebody was looking for me. Yeah, we heard some cop shot off part of your lead mask. Yeah, not a bad shot, that guy. But I got one I went after. You took a little chance, didn't you, Marty? Maybe you're just crazy about the way you used to look. Well, I had to prove it to you guys. You wanted to be sure, didn't you? You got a set of my prints on the card. Go ahead. Check them with what the police have on file. They're different. He's changed his prints. Let's get it straight, boys. I didn't do it. Let's give credit where it belongs. Doc, you did a perfect job. There's not another surgeon alive can use a knife like you can. 
Boys, he's a genius. The first time in history, he's changed it. New fingerprints. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell, but it was your idea. Now, you're all wanted men. You know the score as well as I do. New prints mean a new life, a freedom you never even thought you'd have. The doc here does a package job. Well, look what he did for me. First he changed the face, then he fixed the fingers. I'm sold, Mitchell, you know that, but it's still a question of money. We haven't got it. The price is too steep. For what you're getting, why, the doc is doing you a favor. 25,000 for the face, the same for the prints. Only 50 grand. We've been on the land for months. Some of us were even longer. We haven't got that kind of cash, and you know it. What's more, we don't dare go on the outside to get it. Our faces are too well known. You think this lead mask last night was grandstanding, don't you? Well, it wasn't. I don't waste time. I set out to prove something, and it worked. Now, with masks, they don't recognize you. And with lead masks, even Superman can't see you. And your new faces will be covered, too. I've got masks for all of you. Okay? Listen, Mitchell. You're smart, plenty smart. Maybe you're too smart. Sure, we know you went out and stole a poster, but how do we know you didn't switch it for a fake one with new fingerprints? Now, listen, Scott, I don't Police like science says you can't do it. And something tells me I'm not so sure you can. Okay. Okay, Scott. You're gonna be sure. You're gonna get it right from the top. Maybe that'll convince you. Lois and Clark are having lunch at Pep's Diner, which is across the street from the Daily Planet building. Clark has his mind on the Mitchell case. As if to answer Kent's worries, Mitchell enters. His voice sounds just like Marty Mitchell. But the way he's drumming his fingers, just like Marty used to do. I'll bet you that is Marty with a new face. Listen, Clark, this is a long shot that's really long. You've got to be careful. Accuse an innocent man because he talks like Mitchell or does something like him, you'll end up with a suit for false arrest. Well, I've got a hunch it is Mitchell. I'm going to find out. In fact, I'm going to try and get his fingerprints. Now, you stay here and keep an eye on him. I'll be back as quick as I can. Uh, miss, could I have a glass of water, please? Oh, certainly. Thank you. Uh, excuse me, please. Mister, would you hand me that, please? Oh. Thank you. Hello, Olson speaking. Hello, Jimmy. Oh, hi, Mr. Kent. What did you say you did with my car? What happened to your car? You ran it off a bridge. But I didn't say that. I. What is this, a gag? Oh, I get it. You can't talk, huh? Where are you? Well, listen, Chowderhead. I'll take care of you later. I'm at Pep's Diner. Pep's Diner. As Clark and Perry check the mystery man's fingerprints, Jimmy has entered the diner. He's leaving. Oh, and Clark's still checking those prints. But we can't let him leave. What about the story? We're not positive. Yeah, well, if Mr. Kent thinks he's Mitchell, that's good enough for me. What's the idea? Just hold it, Mitchell. Mitchell? My name ain't Mitchell, it's Canfield. He's bluffing. Miss Lane, call the police. Police? You're crazy. Maybe so, but I'm not taking any chances. Composing, white. False alarm, kill that replate. After this, count ten before you ask me to hold the front page. And there's no chance that it could be Mitchell, huh? 
Not unless he's done the impossible and changed his fingerprints. And I've got it from experts. That can't be done. Well, thanks anyway, Chief. Oh, I better call up my watchdogs. What? Lois and Jimmy, they're babysitting. Why didn't you stop, Jimmy, Lois? This false arrest business can be very serious, as you yourself pointed out to me. But Jimmy grabbed him before I could say boo. I had to see it through with him. Well, I'll go down to police headquarters and see what I can do. Come on. In spite of similar mannerisms, measurements, and vocal tone, Canfield has been proven to not be Marty Mitchell. Pretty good gang, that water glass. You give you a good set of prints? Well, if you know what I was trying to do, why don't you stop me? What for? And ain't everybody can be taken for the great Marty Mitchell? Well, are you? Maybe. Maybe I am. The cops don't think so. And they just this minute checked me over. Hey, wait a minute, Sherlock. Maybe I fooled the cops into thinking I changed my fingerprints. Yeah, that's it. You know, there's a 20 grand price in my head. Why don't you turn me in? That's a lot of dough, Kent. How long does it take a reporter to make that kind of money? You can't change prints, you know that? Well, what do you know? We learn something new every day. Uh, listen, Mr. Um... Canfield. Marty Canfield. Mr. Canfield. What are you after? A reason for not suing you and your paper for false arrest? And I think I've got it. I'll settle for a full story in the afternoon edition. All about the arrest and my being cleared. Maybe I'd just like to see my name in the papers. But I want to see it. Deal? All right. We'll run your story. But if you should be Marty Mitchell, you aren't going to be happy. You've got a story to write, Sonny. Go ahead. Make your deadline. The remaining criminals hiding out with Mitchell are now convinced that he and Doc Webster can give them new lives. All they need is money to pay for the procedure, and they intend to take it in a crime wave throughout Metropolis while wearing lead masks. Jack Morrell, while wearing a lead mask, is robbing a jewelry store. Superman has just stopped the getaway car. The collision with the Man of Steel has put Morell in the hospital with a mild concussion from which his disguise could not protect him. We're trying to help you, Morell. What is it? What? He's still raving, Kent. Even that lead mask didn't save him from a concussion when his head hit the dashboard. He keeps saying the same things. He's the same Jack Morell the FBI have been looking for, isn't he? For a long time. I got to get the money. I got to get the money. Sure, Morel, sure. You'll get it. Tell us, what do you want the money for? The face. First, the face. Then, then, I've got to take care of them. Take care of the hands. I've got to take care of the hands. Oh. I guess he'll be out for a long time now. Mm-hmm. You know, Inspector, in spite of the police clearance of Canfield today, this lead mask business definitely connects the Mitchell case to this one. We know that, Kent. And just a minute, let me, let me think this out. You just heard Morell. He said the face and the hands. Well, Canfield had a different face and a different set of fingerprints today, too, but I'm convinced he's Mitchell in disguise. Come with me, Kent. I'll show you something at the police lab that'll dispel your doubts once and for all. Clark is convinced that Morell's words are connected somehow to the Marty Mitchell case, in spite of Henderson showing him unsuccessful attempts from criminals who had tried to change their fingerprints. 
It never works, Kent, and it never will. Or at least we don't think so. If the underworld ever successfully changes fingerprints, it would be the most disastrous blow to law and order that has ever been received. It would make our system of criminal identification obsolete. I can quite understand that, Inspector. But there's one other thing. Would it be possible to backtrack the tire prints of Morell's car and find his hideout? Well, theoretically, yes, but practically, I'm afraid not. It would be a microscopic job and would require supersight to follow such a trail. I see. Oh, one other thing. Can I ask you for one small favor? Sure, go ahead. Well, can I borrow that lead mask? One of our staff artists wants to make a sketch to go with the story. All right, but I want it back in the morning. You'll get it. Thanks a lot, Inspector. After following Morel's tire tracks with his superhuman eyes, Superman puts it on to disguise himself as Morel. Because he doesn't want Morel to make any more mistakes, Mitchell decides to take Superman with him on the next job, the robbery of the Daily Planet payroll. What Marty Mitchell does not realize is that he's walking right into Superman's trap. The masked Superman and Mitchell are about to open the planet safe when Jimmy Olsen arrives. Who's that? Jim Olsen. He's a reporter. How do you know that? I know lots of things. In fact, I know exactly who you are. You? Gun up, Morel. Who are you? S Superman. Hello, Jimmy. Call me Superman. Did it hurt you? No, of course not. But you want to be more careful with gadgets like that. You know, you're right. If it had been anybody but you, I'd have slaughtered him. Hey. <laughs> oh, just a disguise, Jimmy. Yeah, I bet you if I could find out whose pants those are, I'd know who you really were. No, Jimmy, I only paid $2 for these in a second-hand clothing store. But this is much more important. This surprise package here represents a story that belongs to you and Miss Lane. It does? Yes. Now, you get hold of Miss Lane and go out Route 12. Go out about 14 miles and turn left the first cutoff. There's a small shack there, and we'll be there waiting for you. Thank you, Superman. Golly. Superman is currently taking Mitchell on a flight back to the hideout, where he and his friends can bring the criminals to justice. Superman has used Mitchell like a battering ram to storm into the secluded cabin full of criminals. Once they are all dealt with, Mitchell's plans are revealed. I'm surprised at smart fellows like you falling for a racket like this. What are you talking about? Mr. Canfield knows, and so does his friend here. Take off that mask. Why, it's Marty Mitchell. The face. It's never been changed. And the fingerprints. We've been conned. How did you guess, Superman? Or if I know you, it was more than just guesswork. Mitchell was thinking so hard about fingerprints that he forgot all about his own. Naturally, I'd seen his prints on the wanted posters. So when one showed up here on the handle, I knew that Canfield was just a front. He must have learned Mitchell's every mannerism, every voice inflection. Not bad. 50,000 apiece from the four of us, and then Mitchell, Canfield, and the dock blow town and split it up. I don't think that Mitchell was planning any split. Here, here's an airplane ticket, but it's only for one. Help! Help! Hey, Superman, I can't get out of this thing! Help! Help! Superman, I can't get this thing off! I'm sorry, Jimmy. I can't help you. Oh, no! Help! And just before we get into things, I want to make a note that this episode was based on the Batman story, The Man Who Could Change Fingerprints, from Batman number 82, cover date in March 1950. Well, Batman number 82, let's just say that. Well, that's a piece of trivia I didn't know. Batman number 82? Yep. Very interesting. Very interesting. That's an old one. Anytime you're talking... Double digits in the first <clears throat> those first volumes. 
Yeah, Superman and Batman of the first volume under 100. Yeah. You're talking very expensive to put them in your collection now. That's where I'm trying to get in my Superman. I've given up in Batman. I just can't go any further in Batman. Superman, wow. It's just really tough. You know, and key issues. Try to find an action 242 or a 252, Brainiac and Supergirl nowadays. Yeah, just try to find one of those. But that's a little bit off topic from the man in the lead mask. That is. So we'll start with the same question we start start every time. What do you think of this episode? (laughs) You know, I actually really like this episode. Again, there are plenty of of holes, but that's almost a given. It's almost like we have to say up front. Understand that, yes, these were shows now starting to be written primarily for children, and they're, you know, 64 years old, 63, 64 years old now. So when we start to analyze these things with modern and hindsight and stuff, I I still look at it in two different ways. The little kid sitting in front of the little black and white TV show being totally freaked out by the man in the lead mask because they were so – that's just a creepy thing, and they use these masks – Two more times, I think, in other episodes. I know of at least one. Right. And uh, the most famous one, The Perils of Superman, toward the end. The Perils of Superman, where everybody's walking around with those. And uh, all the people walking on the street are, it's perfectly normal. Perfectly normal. It's just great. It's just such a great episode. Uh, Well, great in that old, nostalgic, loving way. Oh, it's a great episode. It's a great episode. You're right. I don't. I don't have to justify, do I? I don't. No, really don't have to make excuses. I can say we like it's it. That's a enough. great episode. I really like it. And I think in this particular case, the man in the lead mask is another of those that, to me, I think it really holds up well. I enjoyed watching it. I still enjoy watching it. I have no problems periodically if I'm doing stuff in the big room there. I'll just throw a disc in and have it on. And sometimes it'll be, you know, a, a disc of the Superman series. I don't skip through it if this one comes on. It's not like, you know, you're playing shuffle on music and a Kenny G song comes on and you have to really get through it. Although, why would Kenny G be on your iPod anyway? Hmm, interesting. But, and that's not to say blah, blah, blah. And if I have, I'm totally sorry. Way out of bounds. This is one of those episodes that you kind of do have to really watch. Yes, you do. Especially at at the end, because after I watched the whole thing, I went back to the scene where Superman goes back to the cabin to see exactly where the switch was made. Ah, right. Canfield to Mitchell. To Mitchell. Right, right. I think it's also interesting that they use this episode to teach, again, kids primarily, some facts about fingerprints. And I thought it was interesting that they actually used Clark Kent, his character, to be the skeptic of the that Henderson had to prove to Kent that fingerprints can't be changed. Kent was the one who thought it has to be him because of the mannerisms and the voice and all the other stuff. Right. So I, I thought that was interesting that and at one point Henderson actually says that. He just says, come with me. And he takes right. him and shows him that slideshow of acid and, you know, filings and right. burnings and whatever. So uh, overall, I still really like this episode and I think it held up pretty well. And you're right. Several times you have to look at things very closely. I love the scene of Clark getting the fingerprints from what he thought was Marty Mitchell in the diner. Right. But which also brings up another point. How close to the other diner is this one? Aren't they both right across the, uh, the street from the Daily Planet? Which other diner? The one where Superman bends the rifle. Oh, 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 right. 
there and Jimmy, you know, is in love with the daughter of the owner of Mel's Diner or It's a big city. There's there's a diner on every street corner. Okay. Right. If you say so. Except now they've been all they've been replaced by Starbucks. <laughs> right. But yeah, yeah. What did you think of it? I I like I like this one. You know, I liked uh even though they started to gear the show towards the kids, this is a story adults can get into too. Yes. Because I'm not sure a lot of people know the ins and outs of fingerprints and stuff like that. No, you know? most people even even I you know, I don't want to say anything against education, but the way people young people try to learn stuff today, this may not have come up to their, you know, in their life before. The whole idea of fingerprints and they may not watch crime shows on TV. And <clears throat> it's not like there's a class. Right. You know, you're not going to go to, oh, where are you going? I'm going, I'll be late for my third period. I have third period here and I have to get to fingerprinting class. And they don't teach this stuff. So it, you know, may not be totally an out of the ordinary for somebody right. to not understand that you can't change your fingerprints even today. Right. You know, and it's got all the elements you want in a Superman story. It's got Superman figuring out the crime. Mm-hmm. You've got impulsive Jimmy screwing everything up. Mm-hmm. Check. Right? You've got Superman tricking the criminals. Check. Well, you don't always want Jimmy attacking Superman, but you got a little bit of that, too. <laughs> right. That's actually a funny scene. That too. is. And we're going to talk about that scene. And yeah. uh, you get a, a little bit of secret identity intrigue, too, with a comment mm-hmm. about that Jimmy mm-hmm. makes later when he finds Superman's mm-hmm. disguise. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's get into this thing. Let's get into that. So obviously this starts with the man in the lead mask. We have no idea who this guy is, but it covers his face. I think he's wearing a trench coat at this point. No one notices this guy just walking to the post office, but he takes down the wanted poster of Marty Mitchell. And I like how this cop just stands there. He stands there from <laughs> half a block away and just shoots at him. He runs a few more feet, shoots at him again. So this cop didn't really try too hard. Obviously, in the last episode, The Face and the Voice, we got Perry White back from John Hamilton's extended hiatus. Right. And this story starts <clears> where... All good Superman stories start. Yeah, at the Daily Planet. Right, in Perry's office with the uh, expositional scene where Perry wants answers. Great. Lois, Lois informs us all that the crook is wearing the lead mask because obviously it prevents Superman's X-ray vision from penetrating it. And they can't figure out why the crook wanted the the poster of Marty Mitchell. You know, And just watching this for the first time, I could see where people would be confused. Why is this guy stealing a wanted poster? Right. And I've always wondered why wanted posters had fingerprints on them anyway. You know, it's not like somebody catching them was going to... Uh, Check their fingerprints to make sure they're the right guy. Yeah. They don't let the police yeah. do that. Right. Do they still do this in post offices? I don't know. Where I live, there's not a lot of wanted people running around. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I haven't been inside a post office in quite a while, so... I haven't seen one in a post office. Yeah. That would be interesting if they still put wanted posters with fingerprints up. Mm. No, as far as I know. I wonder if this is even digital now. Wouldn't it be interesting if you could actually, you know, go online, wanted posters? Oh, you can. There are some some sheriff's departments that will basically put on anybody who owes back child support. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess online nowadays you can find about pretty much anything. Yeah, if there's a warrant out, if there's a warrant out for you, you can, it's pretty easy to find. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. So then, obviously, we we find out exactly why Mitchell wanted the poster as he goes back to his little cabin in the woods with his three or four buddies here. Apparently, they're all wanted men and they're broke. But (laughs) Marty's got a bunch of lead masks with him. And I'm sure there's no danger at all in putting a lead mask on your face. Mm, Not at all. As long as you don't lick the inside, I guess. And obviously, his buddies are saying the same thing that everybody else is saying. Nobody's believing that his fingerprints can be changed. So it's a very talky. It's a very talky scene at the beginning, but we make up for it later with the antics at the diner. <laughs> right. So obviously Clark is 
Oh, as always, very distracted because he's thinking about the case, and uh, apparently, uh, lunch is not as ex- exciting enough for Lois. Well, you uh, don't think Clark is fascinated by Lois's just terrific dialogue about, "Gee, if I got that new raise, I could buy a new hat." No, I'm sure. I'm sure he could care less. Yeah. So could we. That was a terrible piece of dialogue yeah. to have Lois Lane say. That's something that, and that's not the first time they they have done that. Drop that little line several times. Where, gee, if we get that raise, I can buy a new hat, or I can buy a new dress, or there's the cutest little things that our Lois of today, even if she's thinking them, would not say out loud. Right. It's just not in character for her. She would have been watching Clark fidget and stare and say to him, Clark, what are you looking at? Then he would have gone into, I think that man at the bar is Marty Mitchell. Right. You gave her no credit. She didn't even really need to be there. Right. The problem with this, this is 1950s men writing what they think women think about all the time. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's too bad because I think they, they didn't give Noel enough credit here and they could have made her an interesting part of the scene, even if she doesn't play a big part in the rest of the show. And a little bit the same when Jimmy comes back. But right, uh, She's kind of the nervous Nelly in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Which is, out of, which is out of character for Lois Lane. Yes, it is. And I thought for the entire episode, she was kind of out of character. But again, sometimes they needed uh, someone that they thought they needed uh, this type of a female character. And Lois happened to be the only female character on the payroll. Right. So, What do you think of Clark's plan here? To class. get the thing, to get the fingerprints, and then uh, I think it's a good idea to get the fingerprints and right. check them. And it was okay; it worked for the way it worked. Uh, but I think now that after it's over, we realize that Marty Mitchell, or in this case Canfield, knew Clark Kent probably. Right. Because well, he actually asked when he came in, and a reporter, "Oh, there's two of them over there." So he knew when Clark got up and asked for the water. He pretty much knew he was he was trying to do that. And that's another thing he was trying to plant. Right. This was all part of his plan that <clears throat> he needed to convince the other guys. Right. That the fingerprints had been changed. Right. Right. So this is a whole a very elaborate scam here on Canfield's part. Yes, it is. Well, Although Marty I, Mitchell's part. I love the phone call, though, with Clark and Jimmy. Right. Because, yeah, Jimmy, yeah. You did what with my car? <laughs> and I liked seeing Jimmy figure it out. Yeah. Because a lot of the times, Jimmy doesn't figure it out. <laughs> right and, and then just shrugs his shoulder shrugs and, his shoulders or somebody has yeah. to explain it to him i right, re- i but, really liked jimmy like, oh you can't talk is that it mm-hmm. you know i liked him figuring it out and where are you right well i'm over here at the darn coffee shop and i'll be over there to take care of you in no time <laughs> so clark makes a scene He's at and pe- leaves at pep's diner at oh pep's diner there which i'm sure is related to kellogg's pep cereal there you go. Hadn't thought of that, but okay. But uh, there we have it. So good scene with Clark Kent. That and was. then, uh, so he leaves to go get Perry. And right. Perry White, like all good uh, reporters, they have their fingerprint kit with them. Right. And although one thing I want to say first, and Perry does get mad at Clark about this, obviously the the fingerprints don't check out. They're not Mitchell's. But Perry had already asked for the replate. I think Perry got a little ahead of himself. Right. Like, maybe Perry right. should have checked before he asked to... Uh, replay the entire newspaper he yell he yells at clark because well it's not an episode of perry's not yelling at somebody <laughs> right but you know perry should have known better and to uh check first before editing the, before changing the plates on the paper so what do you think of jimmy's arrest of canfield typical jimmy 
a little awkward. Shouldn't be doing it probably, but you know, you know, for the story, it added to the story. Logically, Jimmy, you know, had no right to do that. Right. And Lois was trying to tell him, but it was typical of his character. Right. Very impulsive. And very impulsive. And he then actually says, well, if Mr. Kent thinks he's, that's enough for me. Right. Boom. It shows the he could have just followed him, though. Right. It shows the kind of trust Jimmy has in Clark. Right. But he could have just followed him. He didn't have to try to hold him. He could have just followed him. Oh, wait, nobody has cell phones. He would have had to follow him and hope he went to somewhere with a phone. Right. Well, and Jimmy has done that in past in this season. Yes, he has. And he did it in the first season. Right. I believe it was. Following Lois, following another bad guy. The the big squeeze. The big squeeze. He followed Grayson to the little mountain hideout and got back. Exactly. To tell Clark about it. Exactly. And, um, yeah, several shows, several episodes Jimmy followed. He followed uh, Lois when uh, the guy was dropping uh, some pellet in everybody's coffee and putting them under his spell. Right. Clark Kent Outlaw, I think, would have been the name of it. No, that was The Secret of Superman. Secret of Superman. There you go. But, yeah, so. I can see how you get those two confused because Clark Kent is fired in both of them. In both of them. Right, right, right. I was just getting a picture because Jimmy followed Clark in that one. Yeah. So Jimmy does a lot of following. Right. He uh, followed the guy with the monkey. Yes, he did. A lot of following. Way to go, Jimmy. Some people just think he's not worth anything. Right. You know, Jimmy's impulsiveness reminds me of his impulsiveness in the human bomb when he gets out on the the ledge and. Yes. With the golf club. With the golf club and blows the plan there, you know. So at least Jimmy's character is consistent. Throughout the entire series. Right. He's impulsive, but as always, Jimmy's heart is in the right place. Right. So after Jimmy's citizen's arrest, Clark pulls up in what I think is a pretty nice convertible. Oh, yeah. Have you dug up the story on that convertible yet? No, I have not. Well, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, I was going to stick to the thing, but there are many stories about that convertible. Right. And one is that it was a gift to George. That's his actual car. Right. And it was a gift to him from... Uh, his girlfriend, Lena, the mobster, Lyman, Lemon, okay. forgot her name. But it's a it's a down the rabbit hole search one day, if you're interested, folks, in the story of George Reeves' convertible. There are stories that both say, no, it was just a car he'd like to use on the studio, to it being his personal car that he bought, to being a gift from the mobster's whatever that George was fooling around with. But he loved that car. Yeah, how about that? How's that for a mystery? That is a mystery. Right, right here in the middle of the Man of Screen podcast. There's a lot of right. mystery surrounding George. Well, Green if you're interested, stuff. folks, you can send us email, and in a future episode, maybe we'll actually tell you the in- entire story. If you don't want to do this research yourself and look up this wonderful mystery of George Reeves' convertible. Okay, now, okay. back to the lead mask. All right, so... Clark shows up at the police station and Canfield gloats for a minute that the police gave him a workover and let him out because he's not Marty Mitchell. At least they're saying. But he is, even though he's been cleared as being Marty Mitchell, he is still leaving that kernel of doubt in Clark's mind that he may in fact be Marty Mitchell. Right. All part of the plan. He wants it in the newspaper. He's still got to convince his other mobster friends that they can change his face and his fingerprints. Right. So, Canfield... I'm thinking... Screw changing the face. Just do the fingerprints. 
What difference does it make if you look like somebody? If they then, you know, you could just say, you know, that's a coincidence. I look, look, take my fingerprint. See, <laughs> they're different. Right. So you don't really need to have the face. And, and they're acting as if it's the reverse. They've got to do the face first, then the fingerprints. No, I'd be taking my 10 grand first and saying, uh, change my fingerprints. If I was a crook and if this was a real thing and not a scam being played by Marty Mitchell well, and Mr. Canfield. Yeah, well, one, it was 25 grand and for each. Ah. Oh, well. And he wouldn't, let, he wouldn't really do expensive. the fingerprints unless uh, – they did the face Unless you first. had face first. Or if you, yeah, so it's going to cost you 50 grand. That's a lot of money. That is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So. So Canfield has a choice for Clark. Either he sues the pants off the Daily Planet, or Clark just writes a story saying that he was let loose. And since Clark has no options here, he agrees to write the story. So Clark has been dealt <laughs> a little bit of a setback here. Yes, he has. I think it's fun to watch this part of it because Clark still cannot quite figure this out. Right. He knows now there is a scam, there's something going on, but he just can't quite put all the pieces together. But and they haven't really let us in on it yet. No, they haven't. They're stringing us along, too. Right after this, we leave the episode, The Man in the Lead Mask, and we go to an episode of Darts with Bill Henderson. As Bill <laughs> and Clark are playing darts in the office. And this is a very long take. So George Reeves and, Shane, and Robert Shane Robert might Shane. actually be playing darts here. Uh, yeah, but boy, wow, they're throwing really hard. And they're pretty close. I think they're like five feet away from it. And it's, yeah. And they each have a handful of darts instead of three each. I don't think they're playing an actual game. But I think they're just taking turns throwing at the bullseye or something. Right. Well, either way. I don't know if, either they're, if, <laughs> if they're actually throwing it to the bullseye or if somebody's off screen putting the darts in place. No, I think that's, I think we're seeing them actually uh, throw it. Yes, I think we're actually seeing where they threw them on the on the board, uh, and there's very little editing, very little cutting. There's one in cut. this scene. There's one cut uh, that goes from the long shot to a close up of them. Yeah, and, and, then, and then back out, and the camera follows them through the death to the dartboard. So exactly, they're so, actually throwing the darts. They're throwing the darts. They're sticking it in there, but I don't think they're actually playing a game other than well, just actually, throwing it actually, at the board. They, they might be because right at the end of this scene, Clark tells Henderson that he owes him dinner. Well, I mean, yes. I'm I'm saying this within the story. Right. They're playing a, a game. No, the two actors. In, re no, in reality, they're two actors just throwing right. darts at a board, you know, with not you know anything on it. But I love the fact that it was again, which means Henderson and Clark do this a lot. Regularly have dinner together. Right. And it could be because of you know playing a game of darts or this or that. But I like the idea of. Henderson and Kent being friends off the clock, so to right. speak. You know, not that are, not that this reporter or this cop are ever off the clock. But right. Yeah. But it adds a little extra element because honestly, they can do this scene sitting at Henderson's desk. But just the fact that they're playing darts just adds a little right. extra element to the scene. Right. Agree. And they're doing it and saying all their lines while throwing the darts at the dartboard. Exactly. And, and taking them out and giving them to the other actor who throws them and does the same thing with Clark at the end, timed perfectly as they walk out the door. And by the way, you owe me a dinner and again. I, I do believe there was one throw that really impressed George Reeves. If you watch this scene very closely. Yeah, he does a take. He, he does a take where he looks at the dart, almost like he's saying, wow. Yeah, he does a take. <laughs> so Yeah, I noticed that too. That was pretty cool. So this is, I'm betting they all did this once. Obviously, Canfield gets gets his story, and with the police convinced, 
the rest of the fugitives are convinced as well. So how are they going to get money now that they're convinced the fingerprints and and the face thing are are real? How are they going to get all the money they need? Well, if you were a criminal, how would you do it? I would steal it. Yes, and <laughs> and, and they're going to rob poor Whitney Ellsworth. Does somebody have a plan? Is there a plan, or do we just go out stealing stuff? Well, so far I think they're out, right now. I think they're just out stealing stuff, oh. and they steal from. Uh, some jewels from the Ellsworth Jewelry Company, obviously, yeah. obviously named for showrunner Whitney Ellsworth. Whitney, yeah. I bet they didn't call him showrunners back then. No, he was what, the producer, executive producer? Yeah, but I, I, I think it's interesting. I think showrunners are relatively yeah, it's new a, term. It's a modern term, but the function yeah. is still the same. Yeah, but yes, Whitney Ellsworth. And he's from the comics. His name is also in comic books of the yes, period. And I've mentioned before that Mort Weisinger is a story editor on this show. Also from the comics. Yes, very famous. That is one of the big changes from season one to well, rest the, the rest the rest of the show. They brought comic book people in. And several of the color episodes uh, and several of the shows this, this season, in the black and white season, second season, and then several in the color episodes came not from the radio show, but came from the, the comics. comics. Very good. Yay. So Clark is, is sitting by his radio. He's... Those are radio sounds of him turning the dial. Yes. Well, he wasn't turning the dial. He gets very good reception in his apartment. Oh, wow. And Is he at the mountain cabin? <laughs> not today. Not today. <laughs> today he's at the uh, Standish Arms. <clears throat> fancy. Yes, very fancy. So Superman goes right out the window, and I really love this shot of Superman flying over the city at night. Yeah, it's a great shot. You know, it's a great shot. I think they yeah. used it twice, and I wish they'd have used that one a lot more. Yeah, I would like to have seen this one more too. It's a great shot. It is. Have you done the clown episode? Where's the clown episode? That, that's coming. Okay. That's obviously Superman uh, intercepts Morel, and he's standing in front of the car with his arms out. The Clark clearly stopped before it got to Superman, but that's okay. That's okay. And now we're. He- Back at Mercy General, if if you're watching along, you'll remember that Mercy General is the hospital that Boulder went to at the end of Face and the Voice. It must be the main Metropolis hospital. It must be. Hmm. Henderson is trying to get answers from Morrell. He's not above trying to interrogate a guy who's barely conscious. <laughs> and Morrell is just in a daze. Apparently Superman gave him a concussion. Perhaps if Superman wants to get a little information out of these guys, he can be a little gentler. Maybe you shouldn't scramble their brains before before questioning them. <laughs> Morel babbles a little bit about needing money. And then he, he says the face and the hands. And before before he makes that comment, Clark has this look on his face like, okay, we're not getting anything useful here. Let's get out of here. Right. So Clark is very impatient in this episode. As he is. This is where Henderson says, come on. And this is where Henderson uh, shows Clark why fingerprints can't be changed. Right. Because there's always a trace. Right. Because Clark is even further convinced after Morel babbles about the face and the hands. Despite the impossibility of changing fingerprints, it's very easy to see why Clark is thinking the way he is. Right, of course. And and he's being led to think that way, but not outrightly. It's almost, this is what he wants you to think. Right. The, the, the bad guy, Canfield, Mitchell, wants you to think. So Clark is just falling right in line with that to, right. to, to some degree, yeah. So they go back to the lab for a very talky scene about how nothing can be done to change the prints. Slideshow. It is a slideshow. This uh, <laughs> this is an audio medium, so slideshows are very ineffective. But it, but it works. Very it, informative. It, conv- it convinces Clark. and so- Showing Clark all those mutilated fingertips. Right. And it can't be done. And uh, So Clark will uh, surrender to uh, Henderson's 
infinite wisdom. So what did you think about Henderson's little speech about how if somebody figured that out, it would be the end of law and order as we, as they know it? Oh, I think that's ridiculous. But I understand what he was saying. And at the time, that was, you know, the form of identification. Right. Now it's just one one method of identification among many. Right now, it's not the fingerprints, most thing anymore. No, and they're being replaced by obviously blood, DNA samples, that right. kind of stuff. Because once they get your DNA, they, you know, they yeah. really don't need your fingerprints. No. All right. But it's it, they still dust. I mean, it's still a it's still a tool. Yeah, you used still a tool, yes. at crime scenes by major case on Law and Order, Criminal Intent. Right. All right. So Bum-bum. Clark has a new plan now. He asks about backtracking Morel's tire tracks, and well, Henderson says, "Yeah, but you need some super sight to do it." Oh, that's too bad we don't know anybody with that kind of sight. And apparently when Henderson indicates super sight, Superman never crosses his mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, instead of just saying, hey, Ken, why don't you get your buddy Superman to follow the tires back? That's a good idea. In fact, I'll go with you. (laughs) So next, Clark asks for the lead mask. And it's great to see that a high-ranking member of the police department gives away a piece of evidence to a reporter. Yeah, talk about chain of command. But this, that is so typical of this show. Right. Probably so typical. in a real police force, that's probably grounds for termination. Uh, pretty much, yeah. It may not have been in 1950, but now? Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. Eh, what the hell? You need the lead mask? Just bring it back. <laughs> right. right. And don't screw up all the DNA that's inside of it. Right. Yeah on it around it all right so superman gets to where he's going goes back to wherever it is he stopped morel and he traces the tires back to the cabin so he gets to where he's going he finds the cabin and then he goes into the bushes because apparently he can't put the trench coat on outside well you don't want anybody to see you nope secret identities serve a purpose we do this for a reason yep they do and here he comes out of the bushes with the mask and the trench coat on they all think Superman is Morel. We see Canfield, who obviously they're all convinced is Mitchell. Right. He's gonna go on. A, he, they're gonna go on a job together. Right. And this is where they make the switch. This is where yeah, right. This is where you have to watch because mm. Canfield sends, we'll say Morel, but it's actually Superman. Right. Outside, and when he comes, then he goes into the back room. Exactly. Then then we go to Superman waiting outside. We're guessing Canfield is gonna come out. But this is Mitchell. This is the real Mitchell now. Right. Right. They're going to go after the Daily Planet payroll. And I guess newspaper reporters make better money than we do now. (laughs) Because nobody in their right mind would rob the newspaper payroll. Well, they've said they've used that theme a couple of times where there's uh, the payroll, the Daily Planet payroll. The one about the fire. Yeah, money to burn. Yeah. And the fire is money to burn. Yeah. With the fireman's friend. Yeah, fireman's friend. Right. Was that called money to burn? Yeah. Before, Interesting. Was, before I knew what the name of it was, I used to call it the Fireman's Friends. <laughs> yeah, because I when you said money to burn, I think of the one where Jimmy Olsen is really rich and they have to burn all of his money to send smoke signals. That's Olsen's millions. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Very on the nose title there. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Um, now we're now we have Mitchell and Kent in the car together, going to the Daily Planet. Well, technically, to rob the technically safe. Mitchell and Superman. Technically, Mitchell and Superman. So. Yes. So, Kent, Mitchell is at the safe. Mitchell hands him the tool he's been using. And, obviously, Superman looks at it. We get a close-up of the drill, so we know we know mm-hmm. this is important. Uh, I 
caught on right away. Oh, I did too. Caught on right. Okay. Yep. He's, you don't even have to see what he's seeing. Cause I don't know if we actually see a fingerprint, but we I know we see it. We see enough to know what Superman just realized right there. Right. We know that Superman sees something. So anyway, the, uh, the jacket comes open because they hear Jimmy bumbling about in the next room. <laughs> and that's when Mitchell realizes that he's with Superman. And, Uh-oh. and the fight spills out into the next room where Jimmy is walking back and forth. And even though Superman karate chops Mitchell, Jimmy, just to be safe, whacks Superman with the chair. Because Superman does still have the trench coat and the lead mask on. Right. And despite the fact, yeah, but still, even though he, huh? he took out the other bad guy. But well, maybe you Jimmy never did, know. Maybe Jimmy, Jimmy Could- wanted to be safe. Yeah, and it could just be two bad guys fighting, so. I love how concerned Jimmy gets when Superman takes the mask off. You think, oh no, Superman, did I hurt you? No, of course not, Jim. No. This is where Jimmy tries to make a leap at Superman's secret identity, because he looks at the pants Superman is wearing. And starts laughing. He's like, gee, if I can figure out whose pants those are, I'll bet I'll figure out who you are. Where Superman says, nope, I bought these for $2 at a secondhand store. For $2. How much... In 2016 dollars is 1953 dollars. You know I've added this up. Yeah, how much would that two dollars be worth right now? Eighteen. Eighteen dollars. Yes, for secondhand pants. Wow, that's kind of steep. I will. I pay twelve dollars for the brand new pants that I wore today. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, $18 for secondhand. I'm pretty sure you could probably still get some $2 pants at the thrift store. Yeah, so I thought, I thought Superman got over got overcharged yeah. for, for his uh, secondhand pants. So He must make more than $3,000 a year. He must. Which was the average income in 1953. He must if he's dropping two bucks on used pants. You bet. 50 cents. And we're going to have more fun with numbers in a few weeks at Semi-Private Eye. <laughs> because the pool hall has the uh the menu up on the uh oh good up on the wall okay good Fine. so so now obviously superman tells jimmy to have lois and they follow him to the shack where the guys are hanging out and i love this shot of of superman uh of this one guy trying to hit superman with a flamethrower mm. and nope that's no good that's not gonna work either this is just and this is your typical fight yeah nothing really of note here and here's where Superman exposes the, the ruse about how Canfield was going to con them out of the money as eventually Canfield comes out of the back room. And, like, Oop. and they revealed that Mitchell was probably going to take all the money and kind of hang the rest of the guys out to dry. Including Canfield. Including Canfield, I'm sure. Yeah, he only had one ticket. And then what do you think Jimmy does after this? Uh, Put the lead mask on? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think Jimmy is eight. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's who he's playing to a lot. Right. And... In the other lead mask episode, he does the same thing at the end. So what do you think of the of the little ending here where Superman can't get the mask off his head? Sorry, Jim. Uh, I think it was perfect. It was great. And Superman was winking at us without winking at us. Yeah. It was a great little great little ending. Great little bit. It took me a couple times to catch the wink. Right. Because they don't zoom in on his face like they normally do. No. It's, it's all a full in one shot. Fluid t- one fluid shot. Right, it's him, and just as he puts, you know, his hands on the mask. Sorry, Jim. Wink, and then he's gone. But yeah, uh, I think it was a pretty good little episode. There was kind oh. of a lot going on. Yeah, and for, I love in the uh, ending. Even though he got the mask on, you can see the hopelessness in Jimmy's face. Right. Well, we've seen him do it enough. Right. And he is such a good physical comedy actor that uh, he was very expressive. I think he was just really good. Yeah, he was. 
But yeah, fun little episode. Uh, more layers than you would originally give it credit for. The use of the lead mask is very good. It's very right. creepy and a little scary for kids. And and the scam, plus being able to prove why that kind of a scam wouldn't work. Right. Uh, many levels. I think they did a nice job with this episode. And it's a very memorable episode. It is. You cannot not remember those lead masks. No. I could understand if people would get the episodes maybe a little confused. Right. But but still, very, very, very cool episode. Like it a lot. Let's say we take a quick break. We'll play another promo. Don't panic. Don't we'll be right back. Panic. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right. Welcome back, folks. We're going to move right ahead into Panic in the Sky. Mm-hmm. Original broadcast date was November 30th, 1953. Writer was Jackson Gillis and director was Tommy Carr. Guest cast <laughs> includes Jonathan Hale as Professor Roberts. If you remember Jonathan Hale, he was the crazy colonel in The Evil Three. Jane Frazee as the lady farmer. Clark Howitt as Professor Roberts' assistant. What was the, the, the lady farmer's name? Jane Frazee. F-R-A-Z-E. Jane Frazee. Frizzy, frizzy, frizzy. Yeah, yeah exactly. okay. Interesting. She's the one driving the truck, right? Right, who With picks the, up Clark from the big picks truck. Picks up Clark, okay. Okay. She was one of the more memorable characters in the episode because... Yeah, it's a really memorable scene. She yeah, she's really animated, good, memorable scene. But I think every scene, every scene in this episode is memorable. So, but... Not uh, every scene. Continue, continue. So Clark Howitt was Professor Roberts' <laughs> assistant, and Thomas Moore was the shop owner. Or you could probably say Thomas Moore was Dick. Because he was the guy in the butcher outfit right outside of Dick's Meat Market. Oh, okay. Right. Well, maybe he just worked for Dick. Well, anyway. But you're right. It's probably his shop. He was probably the owner, and he was probably worked there by himself. Exactly. So, now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com. An asteroid that is five and a quarter miles wide in diameter is on a collision course with Earth, and only Superman can stop it. Professor Roberts of the Metropolis Observatory is worried for his safety. Any change, Professor? Oh, out of the way. Superman! But the sky is getting... There isn't time. Where is Superman? Superman! Superman! Over here, Professor. I'm just watching it. Well, your eyes probably do a better job of it than the telescope. Stop moving now. Well, it's turned from its course and it's starting to burn again. You can't see it move because now it's coming straight toward us. Straight... Straight toward Metropolis? Yeah. Excuse me, Professor. I've got a date in outer space. Now, don't try it, Superman. Maybe I can knock it off its course. Now, listen, they've got spectroscopic photos in there, and we can't even identify the minerals and gases in that asteroid. So? 
Your powers may have no control over them. Here on Earth, yes, but suppose that's made of kryptonite or some other unknown element from cosmic space which even you can't handle. That's just a chance we'll have to take. Look, it's starting to fall now. It's picking up speed. Goodbye, Professor. Chance, that's all it is, just a chance. It may cost the world a terrible price. Superman's impact with the asteroid has prevented the death of millions of people, but the chunk of rock is still orbiting Earth. Both Clark Kent and Superman are missing. Even Daily Planet edi editor Perry White and reporters Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are looking for them. Boy, what excitement. The mayor's planning a big reception for Superman already. Yes, but... London observers wouldn't believe it was actually Superman who stopped it. What did Professor Rome Rome people are going crazy on the streets, huh? Oh, the astronomer. He's a gloomy gust, that's all. Wondering about the effect of that thing after But that. does he know what happened to Superman? No. They couldn't see what happened to him. After that terrific collision, do you think he could be dead? Mabel, is Clark Kent out there yet? I want him to get on the ball and find out what happened to Superman. She he isn't back yet either. Clark's still missing too. Worse yet, Professor Roberts believes the danger has not completely passed. Superman has landed on Earth. However, his actions show us a man who is confused and unaware of who he is. He mainly relies on instinct, first to put on civilian clothes of Clark Kent before a lady farmer drives him to Metropolis. Hey, stranger, you want a lift? I say you want a lift. I guess so. Well, come on, get in then. Boy, oh boy, did you see that thing? Wow! Zoom like this, then whap, she goes. What did you say? The planet thing up in the sky. I thought we was goners for sure. Superman done it. The radio said so. Superman? Yeah, yeah. Superman done it. All right, get in. Don't mean nothing to you. World gets saved. Ha! Happens every day. and then to go to Kent's apartment, where Jimmy Olsen is waiting for him. He sees that Clark is acting strangely, his mind in a fog. Clark begins to unbutton his shirt as his back is turned to Jimmy, and the tunic with the red S is gradually becoming visible. Mr. Kent! Excuse me, please, I... Jeepers, where'd you go? I've been worried sick. What with you not coming to the office since last night, and the chief yelling for you all the time, and all that stuff about Superman going on. I had these keys. It seemed like the right place to come to I don't know you're not mad at me for coming to your place are you the no. guy downstairs let me in and I figured you wouldn't mind I don't know what's the matter mr. Kent gee you look tired tired yes yes I'm tired well it's no wonder with all this excitement going on I'll tell you what why don't you go and take a good hot shower I'll run out and get some sandwiches and coffee shower a good idea. I'll be back right away. However, he doesn't turn around, and Jimmy has gone for some coffee and sandwiches while Clark is showering. Jimmy returns and suddenly hears the sound of glass breaking in the bathroom. A dazed Clark has fallen in the shower. Now, Lois Lane and Perry White are not are with Jimmy making sure Clark is okay. Alright, where is he? What's this all about? He's in the bedroom. Finally got him into bed. He must weigh a ton. I guess he cracked his head pretty hard when he hit the floor. Jimmy, all that glass. I know. He must be the luckiest guy that ever lived. Not a scratch. Probably slipped in a piece of soap. 
Only why didn't you send for a doctor instead of us? Well, I... Please, I, I'm all right. What happened to me? Don't you know? Oh, no. Not since I opened my eyes, I'm sorry. Are you all right, Mr. Kent? What? What, what did you call me? Mr. Kent? Who? What, what's the matter? Don't any of you know me? Please answer me. Who am I? Amnesia. He's lost his memory. Oh, nonsense. Kent, wake up. You're a reporter. You work for me. Now, come on, stop this. Am I? Are, are you sure? Who are you? Well, I'm Lois Lane, reporter of the planet. Kent, I want you to stop this. Now, you can't lose your memory. It's not possible. You know us. I'm white. This is Jimmy. That's Lois. This is just a joke, isn't it, Clark? Of course, that's all it is. But let me tell you one thing, young man. I'm in no mood for jokes. I've had all the headaches I want from all this asteroid business. Superman missing. Oh, please, just a minute. You said Superman? Seemed to have heard of him before somewhere. Who is Superman? Great Caesar's ghost. Metropolis and the entire planet may be safe, but the price could very well be Superman's memory. As Lois, Jimmy, and Perry try to help Clark get his memory back so he can contact Superman, Professor Roberts is becoming more and more worried. Superman had only sidetracked the asteroid, and it is currently disturbing Earth's rotation. Quakes, tidal waves, and intense storms are just a few of the things caused by the large rock. Professor Roberts has warned Perry and Lois that more disasters are on the way. Superman must be found at all costs, otherwise every living thing on Earth will be doomed. You say this is where I work? Are you sure? Well, of course, Mr. Kent. Don't you remember anything? It's a big city, isn't it? Lots of big buildings. Guess the chief had the right idea. When you get behind your own desk and start pounding your old typewriter, you'll snap out of it. They say it's gonna cross the sun like that nearly every day. Hmm? <laughs> what are you talking about? That's always been up there, hasn't it? It's what they call the moon, isn't it? That does it. In here. Doesn't anything come back to you, Mr. Kent? Look, there's the desk I fell against. Remember the day the chief was trying to find out who spilled the ink on his rug? No, I'm sorry, Jimmy. That is your name, isn't it? Kent! Kent! I want to see you! Well, that's me. Uh, yes, sir? Oh, wait. Chief, it's hopeless. All you can do is get him a good doctor. I'm no time for that. See there? Home again. Everything's going to be all right. Nothing to worry about. Only this, Kent. I want you to find Superman for me. I don't care how you do it. You've done it for me before, so I want you to find him. Well, do you know what he looks like, sir? Now, see here, Kent. I told you, Chief, it's useless. I'll help you, Mr. White. I was supposed to cover the flowers. Be quiet, be quiet. Kent, the whole world needs him, don't you understand? They need him in a hurry. Why? What is it? You're the only one who's ever been able to contact him. You've got to find him. Well, sir, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, I'll study upon him real hard, look all through the files downstairs, and... Uh, I'll ask everybody I meet, and how about putting an ad in the paper? No, 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 I'm sorry. You just, uh, you just rest for a few days. You cover the flower show with Jiminy while the world's coming to an end. 
Chief, what did you mean by the world coming to an end? Read this. Just came in on the wire. Tidal wave down in Brazil. Well, that's terrible. I'll get right on the story. Well, just a minute, Miss Lane. This tidal wave, I'm afraid, is just the beginning. Oh, I don't understand. Does it have something to do with the asteroid that Superman stopped? Well, Superman just sidetracked it. That's the trouble. It should have been destroyed. You see, its gravitational influence is upsetting the Earth's rotation. I just had a call from our bureau in Cairo. North Africa's having the worst wind and sandstorm it's ever had. Well, the seismograph out of the observatory shows an earthquake, but we haven't determined its origin yet. You mean all these disturbances were caused by the asteroid? Well, what other explanation can there be? That thing up there might disturb the balance of the entire solar system. I don't know. Just find Superman. Do you understand? Find him. As Clark struggles to understand why Superman's costumes are in a secret compartment in his apartment, Jimmy has come to see how he is doing. Sure, Jimmy. Come on in. Are you feeling better? Hmm? Oh, yes. Thanks, Jimmy. I'm feeling much better, thanks. You look worried, Mr. Kent. Is something bothering you? Well, Jimmy, I've been thinking about Superman. Do you suppose it's his costume that gives him this peculiar power? I, uh, I don't follow you. You know what I mean. They haven't been able to find him, and they've got to. The world may not last another day. But suppose... Suppose someone else found his costume. No. No, wait, Mr. Kent, that's not right. Superman explained it to me once. That costume doesn't have any particular powers. Only Superman can do super things. Nobody else. Nobody. Well, someone has got to try and save this world of ours. Huh? Oh, Jimmy, you came over to see if I was all right. Well, I am. Thank you very much. Now, if you don't mind running along, I've got some things to do. And this makes Jimmy suspicious at first, but then thinks nothing of it. Now, Clark is wearing Superman's outfit. Clark is frustrated, and he slams his fist into a table. Smashing it to pieces has helped him remember he is Superman. He rushes to the observatory where Professor Roberts has given him an explosive device to place on the asteroid. Just this. It could save the world. But without Superman, it's useless. Couldn't the Army or the Navy or somebody put it in a guided missile and shoot it towards the asteroid? Well, I'm afraid they haven't developed a guided missile yet that can go that far out into space. So the only answer is still Superman. Yeah, nobody knows where he... Look! What can I do for you, Professor? This box. Do you think you can carry this out to the asteroid? Yes, sir. Now, nothing can happen until you set the controls. After you reach the asteroid, throw the first switch. This one here. That's right. That'll start the chain reaction. Then five seconds later, throw the main switch. That does it. That's right. Now, the atomic energy people are positive. There's enough explosive in that to destroy the entire... Goodbye, Professor, Miss Lane, everyone. You sound as though you don't expect to come back. I may not. You had a pretty rough time of it before. The asteroid was burning then, but since you changed its orbit, it's cooled. Now, perhaps the elements that almost destroyed you were altered in the cooling process. I don't know. It's just a chance, nothing more. I understand, sir. The key <clears throat> hero places the bomb on the space asteroid and does as instructed. Well, no matter who I am, here goes. The deadly chunk of matter has been reduced to dust after an atomic chain reaction begins. So Clark Kent is back and has written the story of Superman's return for the Daily Planet. Thus the asteroid was completely disintegrated and the world saved from possible destruction due to its influence. Superman, who was slightly injured by his first collision in space, seemed to be completely recovered when he returned to Earth. Probably it was the second blow that... 
Wait a minute. How do you know all that? Oh, didn't I tell you? I have my memory back again now. Really, Clark? Just because you got hit on the head is no sign that's what happened to Superman. Why not? I think we have something in common. As a matter of fact, I know we do. You see, I know who he is now, too. Oh, you do? Mm -hmm. uh, well, come on, who? Oh, just knock me on the head sometime. You'll find out. Mr. Kent, I'm really very glad you're well again. But I'm not so sure it's much of an improvement. <laughs> what a, that's a, this is a great episode, and that synopsis doesn't do it justice. Uh, yeah, the, the, the synopsis gets you through it. It tells you what happened, but it doesn't begin to tell you how great this episode is. So, folks, if you haven't watched this episode and you're listening to, listening to this, find yourself a copy of this episode somewhere. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say how, but find, <clears throat> find yourself a copy of this episode. You will be glad you did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a brief note. This episode was adapted into the comic story, The Menace from the Stars, in World's Finest Comics, number 68, cover dated January to February 1954. And many of this episode's plot elements derive from the earlier comic story, When Stars Collide, from Action Comics, number 63, cover date August 1943. Very good. This episode <clears throat> has everything you want from a Superman story. Oh, my God, yes. Everything possible. And unlike... Most of these episodes of all six seasons, this has the science fiction element that I particularly like. There are a couple of color episodes down the pike that have some nice science fiction stuff. And he gets help from a scientist to help him adjust his powers in uh, particularly two that I'm thinking of, two, two very interesting distinct ways but this time uh it's all very serious this is very serious episode it is it's a very serious episode the scientist is very serious levity is tried to bring in by his assistant saying well gee we're okay right professor well the I one thing that struck me about about the professor is he's really the only person after superman sidetracks the asteroid he's really the only person who's still worried right right has figured out that something is wrong Right, and even Perry White says, oh, you know, sorry, a bunch of gloomy gusses. Uh, right. gloomy gusses. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, as we as we get into the actual, you know, scenes, just, just overall, I just don't know how the only way this show could be made better would be if they had some better special effects But the, for the time period. But imagine it's the 1953. time period. It's 1953, what do you want? <laughs> well, that's what I'm getting ready to say, is that in 1953, on a small black and white TV... This was spectacular. You had a man flying into space and colliding with an asteroid. Come on! <laughs> I mean, really? And losing on his TV, memory. On a TV budget. On a TV budget, yeah. It was spectacular. It was absolutely spectacular. And uh, I can, this is one of those episodes that I can see both as the kid and just be totally thrilled by it. But even as an adult, with all of the production flaws, with seeing this and that that you shouldn't see, knowing what you should know, I still love this episode. Almost every scene in this episode. It's just it's just so terrific. It's at least in my top three. I think this is the yeah. best one of the series. Okay. So you, you, without hesitation, you can put it right up there at the top. I can. Uh, 
I, I can put it there and then, but sometimes I'm in the mood for Evil 3 and that one might edge it out a little bit. Well, there's a, uh, there's a difference between best and favorite. Uh, that's true. So you're saying this is your favorite or the best? I think this is the best. Okay. That's interesting. I still, that's interesting. Because my, that's fa- int- my favorite always varies. Right. Depending on moods and stuff. Right. I gotcha. Okay. I don't know which one I would actually put up as the best because there's so much good in so many of those first season episodes. I don't know. It's but this one is just this one is so special. Um, right. It is just and this, anytime anybody ever asks what's my favorite episode, this one almost always pops to my brain. And right. if if you're gonna show only one episode to somebody to get them hooked. Is this the one you show, or would you pick one of the color episodes? Would you go to the black and white scary ones in the first season? Uh, it's a hard question. This one is a an almost perfect Superman episode for the time. It had everything. It I, just, can, just I, I can imagine the special effects guy seeing this script and wondering, how are we going to do this? All right, well, let's get into the scene by scene, because oh, yeah. some of these scenes I do want to talk about individually a oh, little definitely. bit. So. so obviously the first thing that strikes me is the music. Oh, it's, yeah. It's very nervous and setting that mood and, and the mood is further amplified by the people just looking up. Right. It's and an ominous beginning. It is. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we did Shot in the Dark, I asked if this was the same street? Yes. It is. Oh, is it? Is it? Yes. Okay. Cause, cause if you remember, I recognize Dick's Meat Market. Oh, oh right, right, right. And Dick's right, Meat Market right. is is right behind the uh, the guy trying to comfort his wife. Gotcha. Right. So this is the same street. Little little corner. Right. It might even be the same little corner in the counting of the beans, the magic, the lucky, the bean counting episode. Right. But that's a color you haven't gotten there yet. So never mind. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, color might be a little different because I don't know if this street was painted for black and white or they had yeah. to change a lot for they had to change a lot for color. Yeah. So anyway, good. So everyone is looking up at this meteor, and the first thing we see is the owner of the meat market. I'm guessing this is the owner of the meat market. He's comforting his wife his wife kind of buries her kind of buries her face in his shoulder frightened and you very rarely see in this show kind of the man on the street reaction right everything is about our forecast members Mm -hmm. to start with like i said the man on the street it kind of gives this episode a little bit extra scope right that this is not only affecting our core characters but everybody right and they do keep it close enough that a dozen people in camera makes it seem like it's a lot right so everybody's worried. Then we finally see Lois there looking at it from her office. Would you like to look through these night glasses, Miss Lane? No, thanks, Jim. It doesn't do any good. You can't see anything anyway. Didn't find Mr. Kent, did you? No, sir. I'm sorry. Oh, it's all right, all right. Clark probably found a nice deep cellar someplace to hide in. I'm sorry. I didn't really mean that. Nobody said that meteor's going to hit Metropolis. Maybe it won't even hit the Earth. Asteroid is what the scientists are calling it. That's a meteor, king size. Did you talk to the observatory? Hmm. I wish we could see the blasted thing. At least last night we could see where it was. It's only flamed up like that when it's past other planets. That's exactly what I meant before. It zoomed right past Venus and Mars, didn't it? Just because a big thing runs wild and gallops all over the solar system doesn't mean it's going to hit us. I know, Jimmy. I know. Still, it does seem funny we can't see it anymore. That's because it's so close, it's in the shadow of the Earth. Chief, what did the observatory say? Measurements, just measurements. It's five miles and a quarter in diameter, they figure. Chief, do you want to get out an extra on its size with maybe an artist's drawing of it? Why bother? What do you mean, why bother? We might as well wait and print it with a morning wind-up story, if there is one. 
gosh, but there's... Golly, that isn't daylight, is it? And this is where they're all nervous about it. <clears throat> they can't find Clark, and uh, Lois, you know, takes a shot at Clark. You know, saying how he might have found a nice deep cellar or something to hide in. Right, right. And have you ever taken a, a note on the look that she, that Jimmy gives her when she says that? Yeah, yeah. Jimmy just says, oh, why you got to do that? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hey, Jimmy likes to stand up for Clark. He does. It's his buddy, man. Now, obviously, the science in this episode is a little wonky. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What? If this thing is only five miles in diameter, you're probably yeah. not seeing it. Right. And It'd have to be pretty close. Right. And Perry mentioned last night they could see where it was. Jimmy talks about how it zoomed past Venus and Mars and gallops all <laughs> over the solar system. They're, they're almost <laughs> making it sound like this thing is sentient. Right. This, like I said, the science is a little wonky, but that doesn't take away from the drama. Apparently, this thing is a threat, and they want you to, to establish that threat. Yeah, I think in spite, of, in spite of the flaws, in spite of the science, in spite of the poor quality production, the story and the acting and the directing and the way it's shot, and they build the tension. The story works. Right, it does. So our first look at the meteor, the show is it eclipsing the sun. In this particular shot, it looks like a giant potato. <laughs> But it, I think it looks better in the other shots where you don't see the sun, where it looks like kind of a floating gemstone. Right. I watched this episode initially as we go to the shot of the observatory. I thought this was Griffiths. In L.A., it's not. Mm -hmm. Jack Larson says it's not. Palomar or something like that. Another one right. out in Los Angeles. So, fun right. note there, this is not Gri the famous Griffiths Observatory in Los Angeles. Mm -mm. Yeah, I think it's even smaller, too. Right. So, Professor Roberts here is looking through his telescope. And like we mentioned before, we recognize him from The Evil Three, where he played a very different character. Very different character. To the point where, you know what? They're pretty much unrecognizable. Oh, yeah, yeah. You would have to actually know, you know, because when he's playing the Southern Colonel, uh, he's just totally different. Right. Everything about him, the language he uses, the body, the way he moves, everything is different than this serious, thoughtful scientist here. And worried and scientists. He, he's going to find Superman, and he is knocking people out of the way. Right. Oh, Superman? Yeah. Well, the good thing Superman uh, was hanging out there. Good thing. Right. <laughs> they keep talking about how Superman is looking at the meteor, and he says it stops moving. And like I said, they keep talking about how the meteor is galloping around. And it shouldn't just go straight if it's caught in Earth's gravity, unless the right. Earth's rotation is giving the illusion of side-to-side -side movement. Maybe. It's hard to tell. Right. I'm not sure that, you know, you might be taking the phrase galloping a little literally. Right. But they do use it a couple of times. Right. Because Robert says at one point that it changed its course and it started to burn again. How can a meteor change its course? That's true. That's true. It doesn't change its course. It shouldn't change course. Unless some it other kind be. of gravity acted on it. If it, you know, went by the moon, maybe the moon would adjust it slightly, or if it went through by Mars or right. one of the other ones, if it were close enough. But they made it seem like it's already past our moon, it's coming towards us, then it changed right. course. Directly towards mm, right. Gotham? Then, then all of a sudden, it's coming directly toward Metropolis. And what I oh, found Metropolis. interesting is that Superman couldn't <laughs> see that. Yeah, that's point because he does that. What? It's the, he, well, said, he said it stopped moving. Yeah. And that's when Robert says, you can't see it moving because it's coming right at us. Well, excuse me, Professor. Right. Apparently, there is some relationship between Roberts and, and Superman. Because he knows about kryptonite. Right. So there is some kind of, these guys have some kind of relationship, you know. Right. But that is what it is. 
and he's off. And I love the thoughtfulness of Roberts as because Superman mentioned he has to take the chance. Mm-hmm. You see Roberts in that very thoughtful look, pondering what the terrible price that it could cost the Earth. Yeah, he is not <clears throat> for Superman going up and crashing into this asteroid. Uh, no, he's not. And logically, that wouldn't work anyway. Right. Even if he was strong enough to demolish it or smash it, and then it would just be a whole lot of little pieces or smaller pieces coming down, but it would still cause a tremendous amount of damage. He needs to change its trajectory. He needs to get rid of it, move it, well, push it somewhere else. Well, in theory, smaller pieces would burn up in the atmosphere. If you can get them small if you enough. And I believe that's the objective. Yeah, he'd have to really pulverize it. Right. And I'm not sure. Because even I don't think the solution should work. Their atomic bomb weapon up there. Right. I'm not sure. I don't know. That's, I don't know. We'll get to that. Yeah. A lot of these Superman flying shots were filmed for this episode. Yes. Yeah. Almost all of them, actually. Except one. Right. But two. the flying shots and... Okay. I'll, I'll point them out when we get to them. All right. Because, yeah, he has to go up and then back again carrying the bomb. Right. So those, so he, I, right. I love the shot of the clouds as he's flying up and dissolving into space. <laughs> So that's a new a new effect. I believe it's the only time we see that. Uh, it's the only time he flew into space in these episodes. Right, and <clears throat> I, I like that the fact that the meteor, as he's flying to it, is kind of throwing uh, sparks and stuff at him. Yeah, like, like those it, little like, sparklers like it's burning on the 4th of July. Yeah, right. it's and, up. and uh, you can also see the, uh, unfortunately, on modern TVs, you can see the thick black line, the string that's holding the uh, asteroid. You can also see in a lot of shots the black string that's holding up George Reeves, too. Yeah. That's one of those things you just kind of accept. Yeah. But it's not blatant, though. You can- no, no, no. It's only when the light from the sparkler hits it a certain way. We'll talk about we'll, backlit. We'll talk about that chimney in semi-private eye. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, this, this shot of him flying toward the asteroid looks great. And even if this explosion is clearly animated. And I feel like I've seen that explosion before, but I just can't place where. I thought it was the explosion from the animated series. It might have been. I know I've seen it somewhere. I think it's the Max Fleischer explosion of Krypton. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Though I thought it was too. I'd have to watch those explosions again. It's either that one or the one from the Kirk Allen serials. It is definitely a reuse. A cartoon. A reuse. And well, what else would it be back then? Right. The one thing I want to say about the size of the asteroid: it's only five miles across, and they're treating this as a possible extinction level event. Right. When this asteroid may be way too small for that. Really? Five miles hits. Yeah. It's five because it's five miles up in space. How much comes off during its entry into the atmosphere? How much of it burns up? Right. And would that depend on the material it's made of? Probably. A denser metal may not. I don't know. Who knows? But Superman has a problem with it. You think there's some kryptonite in here? Uh, I would bet so, because it's the only thing that can do what it did to him. If there was no kryptonite in it, he should have just been able to pulverize it. Or, in my mind, if it's only five miles across, he just goes up and grabs one end of it and throws it into the sun. Right. But we're not dealing with that kind of power levels yet. No, not here. Um, And he doesn't have that power level in the comics. And honestly, I don't believe that Superman would think of that. No. He was basically just trying to batter it. Exactly. And it battered him, knocked him all the way back down, right. lands on Earth. But before that, everybody is very excited about this. Hooray! Right. But, but if you notice, everybody except for Roberts. Well, he knows the truth. Right. Or at least suspects it. Right. He suspects that something is still wrong. And then we go back to our people on the street. Have you noticed that they all- Hooray! Right. But have you noticed that they all came back? 
in their same position. Right. Like, where did they go? <laughs> oh, they just went over out off camera. Now they're back on camera to say, hooray. Because obviously uh, the, the butcher shop owner came back out of his shop. So apparently they, he missed it. And how can they tell that something happened with their naked eyes? Because they can all see it. It's right there. It's just right over top of Metropolis now, just hovering. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Don't get too deep into science. Right, I know. So here comes Superman's landing. A little wobbly. A little wobbly. He's pretty groggy. And I really feel like for, for this whole next few minutes, he's kind of working on muscle memory as mm-hmm. a groggy Clark walks behind the rock changes. And then he gets a ride into the city. Groggy Clark is not prepared for this for this uh, woman farmer. No. She's a little animated. She is a little animated. Zoom, pow. Yeah. World gets saved every day. I guess it don't mean no, never mind to you. Yeah. Meanwhile, or something to that effect. Right. Basically what she says. But meanwhile, Clark literally has no idea what planet he's on. Hmm. So he gets a ride into the city and... Instinctively well, goes to 344 Clinton Street. Or wherever it is he lives. Or wherever it is he lives in the TV land. Right. So before that, there's a, an extra edition on the planet that says, Superman sidetracked the asteroid. And it says that the asteroid is hanging in space. Perry is all over the phones uh, that the whole world is ha- is happy. And this is Lois is trying to keep Perry on track, but and, but failing miserably because Perry's talking about London observers, how people in Rome are celebrating. Then Lois gets through to him and asks about the, the astronomer, who I'm guessing is Roberts. That's what I would guess. Right. Yes. And he's like, oh, no, he's just a gloomy Gus. Doesn't actually give him a name, but I agree. I think right. it's Roberts, right? <clears throat> Eventually, Lois gets through to Perry when she asks if what happened to Superman. And obviously, Lois is the first one who puts forth the notion that Superman could have been killed by the collision with the asteroid. And that's when Perry kind of has his old crap moment. It gets him out of his joy, which although seeing Perry happy is always very interesting. (laughs) And that's when he calls for Clark. Clark is still missing too. So apparently Jimmy doesn't go home. He's hanging out in Clark's place. The headline says Superman saved the city. Yay! I think he did more than just save the city, didn't he? Well, I don't know. Can't have it both ways. If it's too small to be a, you know, life extinction thing, five miles could wipe out a city. Right. Well, anyway, but that's okay. Yeah. So like I said, we have more of Clark functioning on muscle memory as he he finds his way home. Yeah. Totally unbelievable there. But we get an almost shirt rip. Yeah, it's an almost shirt rip. It's not mm, a true shirt rip. mm -mm. Little piece of trivia. If you freeze frame it at the at a certain at the exact right point, this is not his full costume that he has underneath there. It's just the top, the shirt, no cape, no pants, and the sleeves have been cut off at the shoulder. You can see when he takes his shirt and opens it really wide with his left hand. Uh-huh. If you look closely, boom, freeze it, you can see the shirt is ripped. There's no sleeves on his Superman shirt. Ah. I yeah, didn't, I didn't catch that. Yeah, it's a nice little piece of trivia. It's uh, hard to catch things like that in the black and white because the color because the colors are so similar. Oh, oh yeah, you can't. It's it's I I only found that out you know a year or so ago. I mean, right. it's one of those things you only find out by either mention. It's mentioned in the commentary. It's in one of the books. It's somewhere, and then I on a you know a forty inch can freeze frame and go, oh look at that, look at. A lot of the times now, when you see Superman do shirt rips. On right. TV and in the movies, he's not wearing the cape. No, he doesn't have the cape on. And we even see it in the new Tyler Hecklin right. uh, trailer. However, the only time where he is wearing the cape is in Superman 3. Because I have that shirt rip on my phone. 
Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, you can see like right by his belt, you see the, where the cape kind of sticks out. Oh, okay. Where they tucked it in. But very rarely does he wear the cape underneath. Uh, I keep meaning to watch number three. I haven't watched that one in a while, and and I need a good laugh. That's got my favorite shirt rip. It's got some good stuff in that one. That one has got some really good stuff in it. So Clark is undressing in front of Jimmy. Good thing he didn't turn around. Mm. So you call this a, you call this a shirt rip? Uh, I will put it in the category of a shirt rip since there are so few of them. And two of them, one is in his office when it's not really taking the shirt off. He's putting the shirt on. But, it, you know, if you freeze frame it, it looks like he's opening it like that. Right. And the same for here. Even though he is taking it off, he's not doing it to become Superman. No. Doing it because he's hot and he just needs to go take a shower. Right. The only, and his head's all screwed up. See, I think the closest that we get to a real one is shot in the dark when he's pretending to be the mailman. Uh, right. I'd have to think if that's the only one, but that is a good one. That's a legitimate you know, opening of the shirt to see the S underneath. Right. I find it interesting all the stuff Clark does after Jimmy leaves. Because he shrugs off Clark's grogginess after Clark just says that he's tired. Right. And leaves to go pick them up some lunch. Right. And again, Coffee and sandwiches. Yep. That's what they always do in this show. Coffee and sandwiches. And Clark kind of finds his way into the closet. <laughs> he hits the little latch there that lets him into the, the secret, secret closet. closet. And you can see that there is there are two costumes hanging in the closet. Guess he learned a lesson. Yes, he did. Combine that with the one he is wearing. That means he has at least three. Exactly. So the event of the stolen costume have certainly sunk in. And I need to check back because where does he get the one that he, after he starts to get it all together and he goes back into that closet and takes one of the costumes out, is it one of the two that he takes? I think there's, still, it, I think there's still two hanging in there. If there are two hanging in there, what did he do with the one he took off? Maybe it's in the laundry. <laughs> Amazing. Because I'm not, I'm not sure if he's wearing one underneath underneath uh, when he's got amnesia. Yeah, he's not. He makes it sound like he he does not wear the costume after the shower, and he's in bed because Jimmy puts his pajamas on him and gets him into bed somehow. Well, let's get to that right now, shall we? Okay. Jimmy returns. Clark slips in the shower and is presumably unconscious on the floor. Right. So the next scene is Jimmy, with Clark still unconscious, giving him some water or milk or something. Right. Am I to believe that Jimmy pulled naked Clark out of the shower, dressed him, and put him in bed? Yes. Okay. That's what they just told you. And who brushed his hair? Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy did it all. Jimmy took care of his very heavy, and he weighs a ton. Right. Which, I'm not sure. But anyway. So we can add, uh, we, I can imagine it would be pretty tough for some of Jack Larson's size to drag an unconscious George Reeves around. Oh, with all that broken glass. Right. I know, we're the luckiest man in the world. Not a scratch. Not a scratch on him. And, and of course, here we are, you know, at he the, wakes one of up, the most... No one recognizes Superman's face looking right at them. No, and that is one of the most controversial scenes of this entire series. If you ever mention Panic in the Sky to anybody who is familiar with the episode, sometimes they'll go right away, wow, great episode, love it, love it. Other times they will go to this scene right here and where George looks up and says, please... Don't any of you know me? And no glasses. He, you know, but I always come back with the fact, you know, because Perry yells at him and says, all right, I've had enough of this. Right. This is Lois. That's Jimmy. I'm Perry. You're Clark. You work for me. Rah, 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 rah. And he's acting uh, like Clark is faking it. Exactly. And when the camera turns to George, okay, I can almost... When I'm putting myself into one of the other three characters in their position, looking at George, 
his face is so doubtful. It's scrunched up. It's not Superman's face. He's confused. He's confused. He doesn't really know what's going on. His brow is all furrowed. His hair is fluffed up. He doesn't look like a guy in, that Superman would be. Standing up, taller than the rest of them, looking down on them. Big, broad chest, red and blue costume. Confidence. Confident, hair combed back. This is Clark Kent. Right. This is a guy who is doesn't know who he is. He's, you know, and I think George sells it there. He does. Uh, he sells the confusion. He Exactly. And Noel says uh, in an interview that she was always asked about this, how right. in this scene particularly, how come she couldn't tell that that was Superman. And of course, her comeback was she wanted to keep her job. Right. She liked getting paid to pretend to be Lois Lane. So she wanted to keep that job. But I, I have no problem, you know, with because I think George really sells it. I have no problem with it. Yeah. Uh, of course, skeptics are going to be that way. You know, uh, trolls are going to troll. Haters are going to hate. Here's my theory on on this. Yes. When people look at Superman, right, they don't see him. No. They see mm. the suit, the cape, the powers, the trappings. That's part of why it's supposed to be bright colors. Right. Who really looks, other than Lois Lane, really right. looks at Superman's face? Right. Well, see, that's my been my philosophy and point of view the whole time of why the glasses work is because it's not just the pair of glasses, but the only people that even remotely could really figure it out are people who see both Clark and Superman on a daily, regular basis. And really, they, who does? And no, hardly any of them except these three. Right. And these three apparently don't really see Superman all the time. They see Clark right. all the time. They've even mentioned in a couple of episodes, where's Superman? We haven't seen him in days or, you know, it's been quiet around town or whatever. So I've always been able to have no problem, particularly when in the comics it's drawn properly, right. when when uh, they look like two entire different people. In the the, the TV show, I think George does a great job selling the differences between Clark and Superman. Obviously, Chris Reeve went the total other way, went with the bumbling Clark, and it looks see, like I don't Tyler. Think that was, I think that was direction from Donner. Because, uh, probably. Because probably. If, you, if you watch him in Superman 3, and I talked a little bit about this with the girls on Super on Supergirl Radio. Yeah. Clark, in that movie, Clark is much more of a actual character than a... A normal guy. Right, than a cipher. Right. Maybe a shy, timid guy, but not a cartoon or exaggerated right. bumbler. And I think in both three and four, he was better. Right. His Clark Kent was better. He uh, do that kind of Clark Kent on a TV show because you know what? It get old. It will get old really fast. Before that, we go to the observatory. Oh where, right, they flash back to the observatory where the right. professor is smoking, smoking a pretty awesome looking pipe. Indeed. And his uh, assistant is joking around, calling it Superman's moon, moon. And basically, after he says that, Robert says, don't be stupid. He's like, so... That thing's still a danger up there. He's still worried, you know, and he's got good reason to be. And he's the only person who seems to recognize it. They take Clark back to the planet, hoping to jog his memory, but it's not working. And as uh, they walk past Perry's office, there's a desk out there that we've never really seen before. That it, that it only comes back when the storyline wants it to. <laughs> right. Sometimes they have a secretary or a receptionist sitting there. Yeah, she was there. Oh, good. But... You, you very rarely see a desk in front of Perry's office like that. Mm. So I'm guessing they're just hoping that it'll just turn his memory back on. And well, why not? I, I love the line when they see the asteroid. Clark says, oh, yeah, that's always been up there. That's what they call the moon, isn't it? <laughs> 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 I was like, uh. Yeah. 
Oh, but my favorite Clark Kent lines are coming up. Oh, absolutely. The scene in his office? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Obviously, they walk in. Perry hears them outside. Kent, I want to see you. And I love Clark's reaction. Oh, that's me. Oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Lois wants to take Clark to the doctor, but Perry says, I ain't got time for no stinking doctors. <laughs> he brings up to the office, this is your name, this is your desk, go find Superman. So go ahead, we'll, we'll talk about your favorite lines. Well, well, if you could, you know, tell me what he looks like, we could put an ad in the paper, I'll go downstairs and check all the files, I'll look real hard, I'll right. ask everybody I see. <laughs> it's just great. Yeah, it's just, it's just so, so good, so good. And... A little screwy. He doesn't have his memory, but for some reason he knows that a newspaper somehow in the basement has files that he can go check and read. Right. Well, it, it's interesting because I'm trying to figure out how to word this, you know, I guess it's just things he would assume, I guess. I guess. I guess. But it is a, it's a great line. He's just being so uh, sincere. Well, right. I'll just do everything I can. I'll try real hard. I'll right. ask everybody. We can, oh, we can put an ad in the paper. Right. And uh, never mind, Ken. It's never mind. kind of interesting seeing that Perry is so worked up about the danger. Yeah. When j- just after that, he was, after the asteroid was knocked out, was knocked out of orbit or into its orbit, <clears throat> he says, basically downplays what Roberts has been telling him. Right, right, so. right. But now he knows it's pretty serious because the scientist has told him, it's all serious, man. The asteroid's coming to get us. We need Superman to go up there and knock the crap out of it. That's, Help us. That's the Colonel. That's the Evil 3 version of... Uh, oh, yeah, wrong scientist. <laughs> wrong character. Wrong character, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, Perry now believes that the world is coming to an end. And now Lois is confused. Right. Because she doesn't realize the danger. Right, because he shows her the, the, the scientist. The title, oh, I'll get right on it, Chief. Right. And then he's telling her that the tidal wave is the beginning. And he's talking about how the, the asteroid is upsetting the Earth's rotation. <laughs> right. Now, I'm not sure if it can actually can upset the Earth's rotation, but I can see the gravitational forces of the asteroid. Right. Causing trouble with the oceans. Right. If it's big enough. If it's big enough. Well... Apparently, according to this story, it is. It's big enough. We just accept the fact that it's big enough. Right. So now Lo- Robert sends Lois to find Superman, and I'm not sure what she's going to do. Maybe she's going to go put the ad in the paper. Hit Clark on the head. Yeah. You'll find him. Well, but apparently Clark is just going to just going to go home. Go to bed. Yeah. And this nap will do wonders for him. <clears throat> and Lois will come in and tell Perry that Clark went home, and she's worried about Clark, but Perry could care less. You're worried about him. I'm worried about Superman. Well, we're all worried about yeah. Superman, Chief. Then she says she sent Jimmy to Clark's place. Kind of makes a little bit of a dig at Perry. Make it to, I'm going to make sure Clark's all right. I guess that's right. Lois's way of kind of reminding Perry that Clark still matters, too. Right. Okay, now the next scene after Clark's uh, nap, which seems to have worked wonders for him. He does look a lot better. He does. And he goes into the into the costume, and when he hears the knock at the door, he ha- apparently he has the wherewithal to put it under the seat cushion. Right. So something is working in his brain. So Jimmy comes in, and you know what? Clark is sitting in his chair very confidently, very much like Clark would ordinarily. Right. Now we're back to looking pretty much like Clark. Right. Some of the pieces are starting to fall into place. Uh, this is a good scene, and it was a scene that was added because of... Things that were happening across the country. And it happened, I think, three separate times where apparently very stupid little kids would be putting on Superman costumes and jumping off of 
things they shouldn't jump off of. And we're getting seriously injured, uh, thinking for some reason that their Superman costume would help them fly. And here we have this scene. This scene was written specifically for that purpose, to tell kids the costume doesn't do anything. Uh, because Clark, in this scene, Clark asked Jim, he says, what about the costume? Suppose somebody finds one of Superman's costumes. Could he do the super things? And Jimmy says, no, Superman told me this once, that that costume has no particular effect. Only Superman can do super feats. Ah, uh, so this was super the, things. the PSA, uh, PSA time. It, Exactly, exactly. And it's similar. A similar thing happened in the Batman 66 show almost 15 years later, 13, 14 years later, when in the first season, when Batman and Robin would jump into the Batmobile and it would fly out of the Batmobile, parents groups got very upset that they weren't putting on their seatbelts. So that's why in the second season on, you see them when they jump in, they do a close-up of uh, Robin fastening his seatbelt. Yeah. And several times, even Adam West Batman makes a point of pointing out why. Right. So sometimes people gripe about things and then the network or whoever says, okay, let's take care of that. But in the 50s, there were at least three national cases, I think, where children were hurt thinking for some reason that their halloween costume although they they actually put out a line and i don't know if it was 53 or 54 when it first came out and i had one of these but i didn't get mine until 56 but it was the same company same suit and it was actually called a play suit not actually a superman costume they then put out a superman there was a halloween costume but they also sold a supergirl and a superman play suit and uh, I wish I had pictures. I have no pictures. My parents took absolutely zero pictures of me and my sister in our Superman and Supergirl play suit. I wish. I'd love to have that now. But anyway, the costume is. So that's why they wrote that in. And it's a very nice, uh, serious scene. And Jimmy took it very seriously, touching Clark on his knee and saying, no, no, no. Superman told me once that blah, blah, blah. And uh, so then Clark says, right. okay, well, something's got to be done. Right, because it, that, I'm glad you mentioned that, because that this conversation does kind of stand out as odd. A little bit, a little bit. <clears throat> it doesn't need to be there right. plot-wise, story-wise. This whole scene, from the beginning of the scene where George, or Superman fought Clark, finds the costume, could have done the exact same thing. Right. Walk into the living room and then sit down in the chair while holding the costume and go through a thought process without Jimmy coming in to do the don't wear the costume. The costume doesn't do anything. Okay, Jimmy, thanks. Get out of here while I put the costume on. Right. He could have done all of that. Jimmy didn't have to be there. He could have just then skipped the Jimmy scene, him sitting, being com- contemplative, and then bang, hit that table and done. So do you think but, this conversation helps him at all remember that he is Superman? No, I don't. Or, I don't think or, so. or does he bring this up in story as kind of a way to get rid of Jimmy? Um, I don't think he brings it up as a way to get rid of Jimmy, but he's asking because I think he's already thinking, why are the, Why do I have the costumes? Are these right. the real thing? Why are they secret? Trying to put all this together. Maybe I am Superman. Then he asks Jimmy, but he didn't have to ask Jimmy. He could have put the costume on, you know, which he does, it, it which he w- does after Jimmy leaves. After Jimmy leaves, he puts the costume on, and it's, and it's the only time we have the costume and him wearing the glasses with the costume on. Uh, he looks in the mirror, and then all of a sudden, that's when everything snaps, takes his glasses off, and goes, 
the professor. Wait, no, I mean, not, not yet, because he still sits down in the chair. Oh, that's right. He sits down because and he's looking smashes. at it. He's flexing, you know. He's like thinking, well, you know, the suit fits. Yeah, it fits. But you can tell by the look on his face, something does not feel right to him. Right. And then he sits down and he kind of, you know, pounds on the table as somebody would if they're frustrated. A little frustration. And the right. table breaks. Right. And then I think the moment of realization comes when he looks at his hand. Mm-hmm. Huh. And then as he stands up, I think this is when it all floods back to him. And a nice takeoff, nice a well, two-step jump and a run through the bedroom. Well, the takeoff, the takeoffs are always nice. Yeah. Yeah. And this so. is where we see uh, Professor Roberts with his explosive box. Mm-hmm. And uh, but obviously the only answer is Superman, so it's a good thing that he just remembered who he was. Yeah. And then, in the next and here he comes flying in on a recycle season one shot. <laughs> I believe he I don't know if he does the dive though. They might have cut this one off before he did the dive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It just jumps off a ladder right. off camera. And then and then he and then he comes right in and Yeah. That's still a long jump though. Look at where that camera is placed where he lands. <laughs> That's off camera. That's a that's that's a still a long jump he has to make and land on his feet. Right. Um, you know that athletic jump and then the takeoff after the professor tells him what to do and he takes off. That's a big jump too. That is having to jump over that railing, over the camera, and holding that box and do a kind of a roll on a mattress behind the right. camera. That's a pretty athletic move. It is. Well, George, but anyway, before, George does yeah, a lot but, of athletic feats in his Superman costume. Yes, he does. But before that, so now he shows up. The professor tells him, you know, throw this switch. Then the five seconds later, right, throw that one. And the chain reaction will. And then and Superman says goodbye. Goodbye. Wait, Sounds rather permanent there, Superman. Like does. you're not going to come back. You had a rough time with it the first time. Right. <clears throat> and he did. And so. So we see but some new flying does, scenes. The professor does suggest that because the asteroid was burning, mm, right? perhaps that's why he was affected by it. But now that it's cooled off, mm-hmm. that maybe now he's, he can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. So he says his goodbyes in case uh, he doesn't come back. So, you know what? The one thing that I noticed, it took an awful long time for him to get to this asteroid this time. Yeah. Dramatic effect. Yeah. Because they kept cutting back and forth and showing the space fly away. And Robert's looking <clears> through his telescope. <throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, a long time. Very dramatic. And then he gets to the asteroid and lands on it. And then he says, and, no matter who I am, here it goes. And if you listen, and you don't even have to listen carefully, but turn your TV up a little bit at this scene. And in between him saying, well, no matter who I am, and then here goes, you hear birds tweeting. Well, no matter who I am, here goes. In the background. Well, why not? (laughs) (laughs) So, there are birds with an atmosphere on this tiny little five-mile asteroid that also has, looks like a road going in front of a mountain, but that's okay. Back lot of L.A. On location. Right. So then anyway, it's still a very dramatic scene because he's not still quite sure. Yeah, he's still a little foggy on who he is. Yeah. And then kaboom, another animated explosion. Yep. And we see another good flying scene. Yep. I believe we see this one quite a bit. This is the one of him coming down out of the clouds yeah. and over the city. Yeah. One yeah. Of them. And it's, it's a good one. It's, it's a good one. 
and uh, right back to the planet. Yeah, I love I love this ending scene. This is a good ending. Good, good ending. Clark and Lois in Clark's office going at it. And he dangles a little oh, carrot in I'm front of her that, yeah, I know who he is now, too. Yeah. Oh, just hit me on the head sometime. You'll find out. This is a good one. This is a this is a good one. I know we make fun of it, and there are places you can make fun of it, which we always which we do out of love. Yes, we do. But man, I love watching this episode. It's just so good, and the story has been retold, and the title has been used, even if they didn't tell the story, and they retold it again in the '90s. I think comic books. Yes. Well, the title was reused in the early '90s in the comics. Right, but it wasn't the same story. No, it was a Brainiac had gotten a hold of War World and was attacking the Earth. Uh, right. This was really the post-crisis Superman's ascension into the greater DC universe. Before that, he was kind of a isolationist. Right. That's kind of where Superman kind of took his place in the uh, DC universe, you know, right before he died. Right. But anyway, this is a good one. This is this is one that everyone should see. It's in my definitely top five list of the whole series. It's in my top three. It's possibly... My favorite of them all. There's just so much goodness going on, which is something I want to add. There is an online comic, and there's only one of them because Randy Garrett has not done more, and I don't know why. Probably consuming, it's time consuming, but I don't know his history. I don't know anything about him, but, uh, and I mentioned this before. If you go to jimnolt.com or theadventurecontinues.com or the adventures plural continue, Dot com. There is a George Reeves Superman comic book based on this. It's not really in a comic book form. It Well, it is. It's, pan, it's pages of the comic. You just scroll through them online. And I highly recommend everybody watching it because it, it brings in every element of, of the show, including this more science fiction elements. But it's all drawn, and Randy Garrett did it in the style, and it's the George Reeves style in color. And it's just beautiful, beautiful comic. I can't say enough about it. Right. And there are several pages of Superman flying into space to tackle the problem, and they basically recreate some of the Panic in the Sky scenes for that comic, and it's just terrific. So if you want to see kind of a comic version of this and a few other stories all combined into one great story, check out Jim Nolt, N-O-L-T dot com. The Adventures Continue, comic book by Randy Garrett called The Secret Planet. Mystery of the Secret Planet, I think is what it's called. Terrific story. I'm going to talk about it on one of my shows at one point. There we go. Yep, this, excellent. Excellent episode. This concept was revisited twice more in live action. The first time was in the season three Superboy episode, Superboy Lost. Which I need to get. Right. That episode really only uses the meteor in the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then it's destroyed and never heard from again. Okay. And the rest of the episode just follows an, anem- an amnesiac Superboy kind of ending up uh, hanging out with this woman who, and her son who live in the woods. And eventually <laughs> okay. he solves the, the problem they're having, recovers his memory, and goes home. Mm, it's actually kind of familiar. Yeah. Well, I saw all those episodes right. when they were on TV. <clears throat> I just haven't seen them recently. So. And okay. the, the second time was in the season one Lois and Clark episode, All Shook Up, which... Basically tells the same story as this episode, except the main difference is instead of sidetracking the asteroid on the first try, Superman fails to destroy it, and a large chunk is still coming. Mm. And we're up against the clock to regain Superman's memory, which I thought gave that episode a little little bit of urgency Mm -hmm. that you really didn't have in this one. 
Right. Because here, like, a lot of people just kind of content to hang around. I've kind of accepted the fact that it was just kind of hanging there, spinning around the earth twice a day. Right. Well, only the professor knew that it was coming still, that it was still going to. Right. In the Lois and Clark episode, that asteroid was still coming to wipe everybody out. Well, they're on Netflix now. I think all 10 seasons of Smallville and I think the four seasons of uh, Lois and Clark. Smallville's on Hulu. Is it Hulu? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if Lois and Clark is on anything. All right. Uh, I thought I just heard recently that it was, but because uh, <clears throat> I don't have those on DVD either, the Lois and Clarks. Uh, I've seen them all, Right. but it kind of lost my interest in that one after the first season. But I would like to see that episode again. I'm going to have to look that up, see if I can find it somewhere. Lois and Clark is not on Netflix. It is not. Okay. It could be on Hulu, though. I don't know. I don't have, I don't have Might a be. Good one. Good one. Good one. Well, where can uh, the good listeners find you? Supermanforever.com. It's the Superman Forever radio podcast. Occasionally, I also do a show with John M. Wilson called the Giant Superman podcast, where we take a look at the Silver Age of Superman through those 25-cent giant, 80-page giants. Having a blast doing that with John. And I also do a music show on the Two True Freaks Network called... Long play, and I just put out uh, recently Abbey Road, where Paul Spitaro and I talk about the great Beatle album, Abbey Road. Uh, but really, my main Superman show is the Superman Forever Radio, and you can get me there at bob at supermanforever.com. And you can get to me at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can find the show on Facebook by searching for the Facebook group, the Man of Screen podcast. You can get in there and join the conversation. You can leave me a review on iTunes and Stitcher. And the show is also on Twitter, at Man of Screencast. So, next time, I'll be covering The Machine That Could Plot Crimes, which I believe is the first of two appearances of Uncle Oscar. Good old Uncle Oscar. And Jungle Devil. So, Ooh. until then, I'm Bob Fisher. This is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.